0: Well, let's stand. We're in Nehemiah 4 again. We'll go from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Um, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on the construction, half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on, say, the work, with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me and i said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us say rally our god will fight for us that's 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 good news ain't it so we labored at the work And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes." Each kept his weapon at his right hand. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Um, What we're continuing in our series on Rebuilt to Build through Nehemiah as we are walking through the text here and and, and working through what it means to join God on what he wants to do um, in the world. In, in, in In this act, in this work that God is doing, when God wants to build, he always builds people inside of them first before he puts them building things on the outside. Are you with me? Whenever God wants to do something through anyone, he likes to transform them while, before they get to transforming other things. Uh, um, um, and, so, and so God likes for his people to be experiencing him in a significant way so that when they're being used, it is significant. I, I don't know about you, but everything I do, I want oil on it. I, 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 now, now, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I know you hear me, Hakeem. Uh, uh, I want oil on everything I do. Now, I ain't getting freaky. I'm just saying, when I talk about oil, I want God's presence, and God's anointing, and God's power, and God's. Strength. I want the oil. No, 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 that's going to be some good Christian slang. We're going to ask, was it any oil on it? That's what you ask somebody. <laughs> See, if I was in a touching church, I would say, touch a neighbor and say, is there any oil on you? <laughs> Don't touch the woman beside you, but just, you know, just, you know, amen. And so here in this text, we, we come to, uh, of course, we're in the second temple period where the people of God just got out of their spanking. They just got a beat down, and God, after his beat down, after God gave Him a good spanking, he gave them instructions to re-represent them. What I love about God is he'll give you a whipping and then say, you all right? You okay? All right, all right, let's get to work. Papal, go on and get to work. And that's what happens in this text as he begins to develop them and work on them to honor him and glorify him. What he's doing is he's setting up the people of God of this particular time to re-represent him and be a conduit for his glory. Let's chop that down because I know we got some young Christians and non-Christians here. Glory is God's, God, like, like God's attributes being shown off. In other words, who God is being shown and flossed, if you will. You know what I'm saying? It's God's shine, if you will. And so God created man to be reflectors. Say reflectors. Reflectors of his glory. And so the people of God of every time are set up to win by showing off God in every single sector of their existence. So any shine and any exaltation that God's people get should really be shine that reflects God and goes back to God. Are you with me? And so God's goal for the life of the Christian, because all of the Bible must be read as Christian scripture, even though it was originally written to the Jews. And so, and so and so God, God's main goal in the life of, of our life is Romans 8:29. Which, which means he predestined us. Say he predestined us. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So everything in our life is rigged to be Jesus-like, if you will. So, 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 so as we go through this passage, we're going to get through some very great pragmatic and theological truths. But sometimes in the OT or Tanakh, what will happen is you'll kind of get sidestepped by the narrative details and forget about Jesus, the gospel, the cross, and start trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. So what I'm trying to help you to do is to recognize that even here, this is God's work to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. I wish I had some help right there. And so we got one point, one point and one point on. I just got one point today. This is a continuation of last week. We were supposed to get through all of this last week, but we got through one verse last week. So now we'll finish up the rest of last week's message this week. So uh, uh, again, the, the name of the, the message was Contending While Building contending while building this is part 2 1.1 one point, one point only building is a balance between defense and development building is a balance between development and defensiveness in the text we see here that the lord has just given a god's people some some audacity say audacity See, see, every now and then, the people of God need some audacity. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, earlier in the passage from verses 1 through 14, God's enemies were trying to get the people of God to fear them, and they were going to come in and run, wreck shop on them. You know what I'm saying? They were going to sneak in and kind of jump the people of God. And so after that, you know, Nehemiah found out. And he was like, nah, everybody, get on your war clothes. Cast start putting on their gear because they were scared and everything. So he lined them up and was like, oh, we serve the great and awesome God and start putting, putting faithlessness on blast and put faithfulness on exaltation. And so when doing this right in verse 15, right, he says something interesting. He says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan. I like that. It's all right when God frustrates an assignment that was on your life. Oh, my goodness. What will happen every now and then by the word of God through the power of God is the Lord will make known to you that something is going to happen to you. Now, now it's interesting that their plans was frustrated. The word frustrated here is interesting. The Hebrew word for frustrated here means to break. It means to declare invalid. I wish I had some help. I hear you, Miss Dale. To crumble, to disturb, to destroy, to suspend, to foil, to make useless, and to nullify. He frustrated their plans. In other words, words there's some, there some enemies, and we know we have really won, but there's some enemies that only want to fight you when they don't think you're going to fight. Let me see if I can make it plain. When I was in, when I was in fifth grade, Trusdale Elementary School, Washington, D.C., Northwest, Northwest side of D.C. I grew up on Ingraham Street, South Ingraham, Seven Seventeen Ingraham Street. So I'm at, I'm at. You know, we used to line up outside in front of our teacher in the morning before class. I know y'all don't know nothing about that. You know, everybody lined up. How many of y'all remember that? You line up in front of the teacher before you go in, right? And so, and so, and so is this dude named Kellis Anthony. Kellis Anthony, I, I, I put, it, I, I love you, Kellis. You, God bless you, man. But I'm just talking about back in the day. We were kids. He used to try to take me for bad back. You know, I don't know if y'all use that lingo, but take me for bad back then. You know, he's trying to get his man on me, right? You know what I'm talking about, right, Trisha? I know she DC. So, 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 what he tried to do? He's even always come up to me. I gotta use Pastor Kurt. You know, he ain't fragile like Kendall. He used to smooching me. That was what we used to call that smooching a dude. When you when you push him in the head, Cass was like, "Yo, man, I'm telling you, you need to leave E alone. It ain't that he can't fight. He just don't like fighting. Leave him alone." He's nah. He a sucker, ain't you E? Ain't you E? <laughs> smooching me, right? So we, so look, so we, we, I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm in line one day, and you know, I got my little backpack and my little coat on, the little blue joint with the orange inside of it and the fur around it that you pull pulling and your, your thing come like that. Y'all know what else, y'all know what I'm talking about. And so, and so, and so, he came up to me, smooch me, right? And I was like, uh, and I don't know what happened. But there's like, it's a switch it went off in my spirit, and I unzipped my coat. And I dropped my arms back, and my backpack and my coat slid off of me. And as my coat was sliding off of me, my fist was coming up out of the coat. And I just cold clock money. waka ka I remember, like, youngin' was stunned, you know what I'm saying? Then I started just, and then I started swinging and swinging and swinging. Then the teacher turned his back and was like, he should've told him leave him alone. You know what I'm saying? But after that day, I never had a problem out of Kellis Anthony ever again. Because sometimes when your enemies know you're ready to fight, I wish I had some help. Sometimes when your enemy know that you're ready to fight, they don't want to come up on you like that. The Bible says that God frustrated their plan. Why? Because they stopped walking in fear. See, see, fear is the antithesis to faith. And see, see, fear... Fear, not divine fear, based on Proverbs chapter 1, which says, Fear is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. That's standing in the awe of the reality of God. That's the same thing Nehemiah was calling them to earlier in verse 13 when he says, The great and awesome God, standing in all the reality of God. That's a Hebrew word there is fear, which means I'm rocked by what I'm looking at. I'm rocked by what I can't get my mind around. I'm rocked by what I can see but still can't see, but I know he exists, and his invisible attributes are seen in what he's created. In other words, I'm in awe of God. That's not the fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fear that comes from having your faith on lockdown and shackled. See, 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 that is what happens when you're on mission for God The enemies of God and the enemy of the glory of God will seek to put your faith in captivity. Because why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he that comes to him must know that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's Bible there. So because that is a reality, faith must always be unleashed. That's why we're saved by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith, it is a gift of God that no man should boast, and not that of works. So faith is a conduit by which we connect with the king. However, when we're fearful of something that's not the king, it becomes an idol. Therefore, we worship it by being arrested with fear. But the plan was frustrated not because they were strong, not because they were powerful, but because they stood in awe of the reality of who God was, and that motivated them to fight. That that's what happened. See, see, it motivated them to fight, and now it was like, oh, snap. See, remember, they were surrounded because the nations, Ashdod and, Am- and Ammonites and the Sumerians and the people in the Negev surrounded them. And so they could have whooped them. But their plan got frustrated, and I like it when plans get frustrated. When, 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 I, I, that's when you can quote the verse, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue that rises up against me in judgment shall be shut down. I like that. Why? Now, this is not man-centeredness. This is glory-centeredness. Because we're not centering on us. We're centering on the fact that we're conduits for God's glory. Because we're conduits for God's glory, we have an X on us. And that X makes us under attack. I like the way Job said in Job 5.12, he said, he frustrated the devices of the crafty, so that their hands achieve no success. I like that. That that God is all, God, listen, when you are following him, not when you're following your own personal passions and preferences, but when you recognize that your life is built for him and you're on his mission where you are, what God will do is he will booby trap the enemies devices to be able to destroy what he's trying to do to you. Oh, I'm alone in this, Jones, so I'm going to keep it moving like that. You know, it's interesting, my son, you know, I believe in spiritual warfare. How many of y'all believe in spiritual warfare? I'm not just talking about, you know, this, I'm talking about real warfare, like stuff in your house. Come on, somebody. Like, I don't know what's going on in my house. Can I just be straight up? I don't know what's going on. There's something going on in my house, spiritually. Like, movement, movement, Kids in here. I don't want make them scared. My son said, "Daddy, my bed is shaking." He says it several times. Now, my son is not crazy, right? You know what I'm saying? He's not. Um, and he says it. And, and 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 one of the things that my son is, he's very scared of the dark. I mean, has I mean, he's almost arrested of the dark. You switch off the light without a nightlight, my my oldest is gonna wig out on you. He's just gonna be like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Turn the light back on. But I began to learn. I thought his fear was just something he may have watched in the past. But his fear is a sensitivity to the spirit realm. And, and what I had to begin to do is I had to not just, because I'm an oil dude, so you can say what you want about me, but I'm an oil-throwing dude. I, I think it's a sword. I just say, God, this, this represents your presence. Cut out. And I just use like a gun and just go through the crib, right? But, um, but but this time, this time I didn't use oil. I began to say, son, I, want, I, I began trying to help him Magnify God in his mind. Because the, the darkness got bigger to him. Wish I had some help. And, and 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 the bigger the darkness was in his mind, the greater his fear was. But so I said, I said, I said, faith, what faith does in the living God is it increases the quotient of God-centeredness in the heart and mind of us. But then what it does at the same time is it decreases the fear factor. Yeah. And when the fear factor gets decreased and God gets more, I don't focus him on, you just get all in the devil. I said, get into God. Yeah. I said, look at his glory, son. And I began quoting scripture to him. I can do all things through Christ. And he, I said, you quote it when you're in the bed. And I said, you don't. And I started, he said, yeah, daddy. And I started talking to him about that thing. And he went on to sleep. Yeah. You know what? Because what, in, what the enemy will do, and I, I don't, listen, he will attempt to destroy your faith quotient in the king. And what you must do is you must zoom your eyes in on the living God. And because the more you walk in the fear of the circumstance or situation or issue, God's glory will decrease in its impact on your ability to reflect it. <sighs> I gotta move. <clears throat> but then I like later in this passage, next he says, he says, he says that God frustrated the and we return <laughs> to the wall, each to his work. Now, look down in verse 17, real quick, and he says, um, Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand. I, I like that it said, The work. It's interesting. Now, if you look back up at verse 15, it says, Their plan. It's interesting that anytime the enemy comes after believers, here the enemy is buy Tobiah, Gershom, Arabs. Astrides, all of that. But we know that every physical manifest sometimes physical manifestations of fighting is a spiritual manifestation of something. And so here in this passage, it says they had a plan. They were unified on their plan. But 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 I like the fact that when God frustrated the plan of the enemy, the people returned not to their work, but to the work. Okay, let me let's make this plan. See, see. What God does on earth for his glory doesn't belong to anybody but him. And so, because of that, it's called the work, not your work. God isn't going to support your work unless you're supporting the work. That's just the way it works. So, so so so, so it's a work. We may have a church here, we may have a person there, we may, but there is only one work of God on the planet earth. And so therefore, the church is God's work in the earth. Which is, uh, which is a magnification of his mission to reach lost people and to lift him up real high. So the church doesn't belong to any pastor, any bishop, any apostle, any, any anybody. It doesn't even belong to you. Um, it belongs to God. And so what you must recognize is that God's kingdom work is his work that we rally around and join him in executing. It's because you can't, you, you can't walk in biblical building unless you recognize that it's only one work. Because if you try to build another work, you're building something else, not the work, which means now you're contending against God versus with God. That, that, that's just the way it works. That's just the way it works. And that, 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 that's just the way the kingdom works. But it's interesting that he says the work, and then he goes and says each return to his work. That's beautiful. Because there's the big work of God, but then within the big work of God, everybody has an assignment. Say assignment. Now, now your assignment. Many of us magnify our assignment as the work. <laughs> but now recognizing that you're only a smaller scheme of the work as a piece of the work. Let me see if I can make it plain. Other day when I when I when I went to the um, golf station on Spring Garden, you know, I I, I always I always wonder. I look at it. And and you know, the ones that got the garages beside it, you know, the several garage, they got like five different little garage joints on it. And then you see one say alignment, you know, uh, you see another one say brakes, you know, you have another one that says oil change, you know, it's interesting that those are different garages that have different assignments within the gas station, but you don't call the gas station alignments. You don't don't call the gas station brakes. They call that gas station golf, but all of their work were garages to repair that which was broken. I wish I had some help right there. See, see, every believer's life and assignment is like a garage. And even though there's a different name on your task, you all and all of us who are in Christ are under one work, and that's the kingdom of Christ. Because that's why 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us something beautiful. It says, it says, there is one spirit, but many what? Manifestations. And so when we look at that reality and we look at this work, it, 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 contending while building recognizes the nature of this work, but then he goes further in verse eighteen. He says, "In each of the builders, I'm like this is so gangster right here." Hold on, go back to verse. Let me see. Just I just want you to check out the gangsterology right here. Right, it says, "From that day on, half of my workers worked on the construction." and have held spears. I like that. Some dude standing walking like this. I dare you, right? I like that. While the oven was working. That's one set of work, right? Then he goes to, then he got the leader standing. Boom. Then you got verse 17. said, who were building on the wall in the house of Judah? He says, uh, who were building on the wall? Those who carried the burdens loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other hand. That's, that's just, can, do you understand? Like they didn't have like these things we do with the, all the switches that I don't understand, They pick the stuff up out the ground, they had cats digging like this. and had a knife in their hand, like a dagger right there, a sword right there. And, and, and they were working at the same time while they were building. In other words, remember, development and defense supposed to happen at the same time when you're honoring God. But then it says, but listen to this. It says, and each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. I like that. That's just good, good stuff right there. He says, and he says, the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So the trumpet back then was that, that crooked ram's horn, which they would blow. Now the the ram's horn was utilized as a battle cry. Now when he did this, when he when he when he pressed the ram's horn, this is what um, Nehemiah said he wanted them to do. He says, so he, he says he sounded beside him. He says, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people. The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from each other. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us here. I like that. (laughs) Now, what what does that point to? It points to a beautiful principle in the New Testament of the theology of mission. Say scattering and gathering. Say scattering and gathering. I like this. When when God scatters us out into the work that he's called us into in the world, we, we are to be working and working hard, but there has to be a time of rallying. So when the enemy is attacking, they would do, 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 type joint like that, then everybody be like, go on, run on there. cats pulling out their weapons like this. Do, do, do. You know what I'm saying? Doing it, I, that just looks good, man. Men and women, children, women, got the woman, the child strapped on her back. You know, like uh, African sisters be having the baby back there. I love that, man. I mean, I love that they carry something on their head and then put out the knife and holding the thing on their head with the baby on their back and like this, getting at it, right? And so everybody would rally. Now, they did. You ain't never, mm, anyway. And, 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 and I like this because they are rallying points. The people of God have to have rallying points. Now, rallying points are are, are interesting places because the word rally means to collect, to gather together, to assemble, to congregate, or to put something all in one place to be used for the Lord. It denotes putting people together as an army for battle. In the essence of it, it's being called to a cause. So when they came together at the rallying point, they would have briefing instructions. And development instructions in order for them when they scatter back out in battle to know what they're actually supposed to execute. So the church has to have rallying points, say rallying points. So, so I'm gonna name some real practical, practical rallying points. It, it, because we gotta be on the same page. Pastor Niren did an excellent job helping us to understand this idea of being on the same page out of Philippians chapter two, verses one through three. But the first rallying point, now I know some of y'all, y'all deep already, so. You know this is above you. Just check out. But for some of us, we need to understand this. The first rallying point is the Triune God. <laughs> now, 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 see, I can name a whole bunch of stuff, but if we're not on the same pace, page about who God is, we can't rally. Why? Because He's the one that drafted us on His team, based on Ephesians chapter one, verses one through fourteen. The Father chooses, the Son saves, and the Spirit seals. So the triune God is our Zoom lens focus to make sure that we are on the same page. Number two, a rallying point is the doggone Bible. You can put in your notes just like that. The Bible. The Bible. Why? Because we can say we believe in God, but, the, but how has he spoken and how has he revealed himself? So therefore, you've got to have information that informs the God you say you serve. So the Bible is where we rally. We don't make stuff up. We don't say, let me use my sanctified imagination. That just means lying with a license. We say, what does the Bible say? I wish I had help. And so we got God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, one God, uh, three persons united forever. Then we got the Bible, which is uh, not merely basic instructions, but the only needed instructions for God's people. Because in many times in the past, God revealed himself to his Through his father, but in his last days, he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. The word of God is uh, alive and active and sharper than any two edged sword, dividing both deep to the joints and the marrows and to the soul and to the spirit. I've hidden thy word in thy heart that I might not sin against me. How can a young man keep his way pure? Keeping it according to thy word. Lord, your word, it will not return void. My heroes are those uh, who call upon the name of the Lord and keep his. Law. In other words, the Word of God is our rallying point, listen, to help us to be mentally, theologically, exegetically, expositionally, and comprehensively on the same page. That's, 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 that's where we meet. So, so, so it, it has to be a biblical framework. That means a biblical worldview is what we meet around. We don't meet around our opinions. We let the Bible transform our opinions. That's what makes the work the work, not our work. But then you, you, you can understand the triangle God, you can have Bible, but you need execution of connectivity of that, and that's prayer. Prayer is the other rallying point for the believer. And so that's how we rally. This is what we rally around. We rally around these things. God, the Bible, prayer, right? I know this seems simple, but you have to have a monstrositous prayer life. Not just when you're in trouble because it's about getting attacked by the enemy. So you gotta have a prayer life that's an ongoing dialogue so that when trouble happens, you're not trying to conjure a fellowship that you never had. <laughs> see, see, when I'm in trouble, see, I know when I ain't been with the Lord for a while and something spiritual break loose, I feel funny going before him, but even when I'm, I'm not praying like I should, the Bible says because of Jesus, I can go before him with confidence. Yeah. And so now, even then, he, he, listen, my prayer life doesn't merit God's power. Jesus merits God's power for me. Oh, so, 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 so we see, so we see the beauty of these rallying points. But then, however, the Bible is a massive expanse of the mind of God. So what you have to do is you have to develop a multivitamin pill, say multivitamin pill. A multivitamin pill, see, listen, if you were taking, if you had to take, your doctor said, I need you to take all the vitamins. And so you lined up vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, and you go all the way, B12 and zinc and everything, right? And you lined them, just up. you had individual bottles, your throat would be sore in a mug after taking all of those every day. So somebody came up with a great idea. They took all of those nutrients equally and put them into one multivitamin pill, So that when you've taken that one pill, you've taken them all. I wish I had some help. And so what we have to have, a church has to have core values. Say core values. Core values is the multivitamin pill of the mind of God put into certain points to help us to be zoom lens on the entire expanse of his mind. Oh, my goodness. So that's why we got five core values. (laughs) First core value is Christocentrism. Say Christocentrism. I'm still in the Bible because this is a rallying point. Why is Christocentrism a primary and central core value? Uh, Because without Christ, we can't do nothing. Colossians 1.16 says uh, everything was made through him and for him and by him. Uh, the Bible says that He's preeminent above all creation. He's the firstborn among many fruit. God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. So we make Jesus has to be central because he is the central navigator of the souls of the Christian. I wish I had some help right there. And, and, and what we need in our lives is a Christ-centered life. Christ-centered life, not a me-centered life. And, and guess what? We need to be reminded of that regularly. That's why Christ is our rallying point. That's why Jesus is our rallying point. That's why he's the present help in the time of trouble. I will keep going, but I ain't got no help. God is everything I need and more when I think of the goodness. Uh, anyway, I got to move. Next core value. Next core value because I ain't going to help me. Next core value. Com- uh, commitment. Say Commitment. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What did they do? They rotted around the mind of God and devoted themselves to it. Not just heard the word, but they were committed to obedience to what they heard. Ah! So what happens is, is when Christ is center of your life and the word of God is there in your life, what happens is you're empowered to be obedient. So we have to have commitment, but we not only start with commitment, we got to have community. That means we actually come together in organize organic ways to love each other and jam each other up with Christ at the center, with God on top, listen, the with the word of God opened. Yeah. Community, 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 community doesn't mean cultic activity by which we measure each other by how you look like me. Community is like all of us are a mess, all of us are broken. All of us need help. Let's just come bring our broken, trifling selves together, come in the room together, put the one who's perfect in the middle, put his mind on the table, and put our heart, Put our, listen, put our mess on the table on top of the one who laid on the cross for us, and now let's meet together. Let's greet together. Let's fight together. Let's love together. Let's not live a me-centered, individualistic, I-got-to-do-it personal dream, personal preference, personal desire lifestyle. Community, you got to have some cats you rallying with. Ride or die cats. You know what I'm saying? Ride or die that love Jesus. Not ride or die who want smash. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about ride or die who love the mind of Christ. Who break bread and fellowship and say, man, I got you. Right? But then you also need to have not an ingrown toenail called community, where you always spend time with Christians, but you don't never touch nobody lost. Oh, so that's why our next core value is called conversions. We believe in seeing people go from spiritual death to spiritual life. It says, and the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved daily. In other words, the people of God got together with purpose, but they had lives that were, that were gathered enough to be to, with other people to be developed, but they were scattered enough to go in the world and engage lost people. See, that's what it's all about. You got to be, you got to open your mouth. I'm showing the gospel. How would they hear without a preacher? Ain't nobody going to just say, listen, oh my God. Listen, ain't nobody just going to say, you got a good life. Tell me about Jesus. That's not normal, okay? Um, when Paul, when the guy said, in the context of what must I do to be saved, they were singing hymns about Jesus. And so he said, I'm hearing Jesus. What must I do to be saved? That's why we got Jesus in the songs, so that people can hear Jesus in the songs and think that's what they say. What must I do to be saved? So now they shared the gospel with him, kept, kept from spiritual death to spiritual life. He was converted. But then from there, we got to have culturally relevant ministry. Relevance isn't just coolness. It means walking in Christ's fulfillment of the law. That's what it means. Relevance means I love God the way God is, receives love. But then I also love people the way they receive love, not the way I want to love them. Oh, I wish I... See, some of us love... We love the way we want people to love us and wonder why love ain't received. But, ah, God help me. But but loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We still on rally points. Love your neighbor as yourself. What that begins to do is it begins to cultivate a a, a cross-centered life, which is horizontal and vertical at the same time. And that's what's beautiful about the glorious gospel of peace is that it helps us to be a rallying point. So all of these things are rallying points. So now what does that look like? Life groups is one. That's why you got to get in a life group. I'm not connected. I don't feel connected to nobody. I feel distant. Who are you rallying with? We still in the Bible. Who are you rallying with? You can spend a time with a crowd, but a crowd that doesn't know Jesus that you do life with will make you feel lonely if God's presence isn't driving that community. We're not saying throw off non-Christians. That's not what we're saying. But you don't do life with non-Christians. Why? Because Christ can't be center there. Ah, but guess what? Sunday morning gathering is a rallying point. I'm going to end on this as rallying points. Then we're going to move on with the test. But, but, but Sunday morning gathering is a rallying point. Worship is a rallying point. That's why the first thing we do is get up in that music to get us get us, get our juices flowing. But giving is a rallying point. Amen, somebody. Amen. Giving is a rallying point because the kingdom can't move forward without resources. Amen. But then preaching and teaching is a rallying point. Communion is a rallying point because it brings everything into consummation of the fact that what Christ has already done for us. I got to move on. But I like the next thing. He says, and God will fight for us. I like that because they didn't just put on war clothes. They understood that God was the one that actually did the fighting. <laughs> see, 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 even though you throw out your arm, it's really God's arm over yours. That's cutting at things that you can't see, and that cuts at things that you can't see. I, I, oh, y'all don't believe me? Come in, Gideon. Gideon had a bunch of people with him. He, you know, in, in Judges chapter seven. And man, these guys said, nah, that's too many. Nah, that's too many. He said, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you who, who, who I want you to who I want you to be with you. The dudes that drink like this and don't drink like the two ones you want. He went down and laughed. He said, them them three hundred right there. He said, three hundred people, God, against. Yo, it, the Bible said that they had camels without number. Like, so how are we going to fight them? But see, when you, when you base the battle on your weapons and not the, not the engineer of all things, then you're going to lose. But when you recognize, like, like, I like Jehoshaphat when all hell was breaking loose in 2 Chronicles 20. And Jehoshaphat tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and called everybody. And and God's response to that was, this battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. What's beautiful about God fighting for you is it makes the battle so much more easier. See, some of y'all are used to fighting on your own. But when you're fighting for the cause of Christ, when you're fighting for the cause of God, you ain't got nothing to worry about because we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. So... So anyway, (laughs) it's beautiful to know that the God of heaven is the shaper of making sure that battles are executed in an honoring and beautiful way. So he says, our God will fight for us. But then he goes to the next part, and he says in verse 21, he says, so we labored at the work. I like that. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. He said, I also uh, said to the people... At the time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may be a a labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the God who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. what's beautiful about this is you see defense and development. In the greatest place where we see the principle of defense and development is on the cross. Because the cross is a two-sided sword. The cross defends and it develops. I'll show it to you. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In other, in other words, he, what Jesus Christ did on the cross is he, he the, the enemy had bullets, but he took the bullets out the gun so that when the enemy shot at God's people, he shot blanks. So the, so the cross is a defensive weapon. When you hear people say, I plead the blood of Jesus, that's a good thing on something because that means you're using the cross, Christ's blood spilling on the cross, as a defensive weapon against evil. But then it's also a tool of development because the Bible says in in uh, uh, of Romans chapter 15, he said Paul says, I learned to preach the gospel to you. Uh, he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Why does he say that? Because he's talking to Christians. That's interesting. Why in the world would he tell Christians that he wants to preach the gospel to him. Because it's not only a defensive weapon. See, most Christians think the gospel is just for unbelievers. But it's also for you to develop you. In other words, it doesn't just get you saved, it keeps you saved and takes you to heaven. So, but but it's not to be in heaven, but it's to be with the one who died for you on earth, in heaven, and on earth. So so the beauty of this is the cross is a defensive and a, and a, uh, 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 a developmental weapon. So when we're talking about this idea of being rebuilt to build, the cross drives that. Christ drives that. And so that's why when you get through a text like this, if you come away with just fight, fight for yourselves, get up and just fight, and there's no gospel that gives you the strength to fight, then you're by yourself. But when Christ is the center of why you fight and you recognize that this ultimately points to Him, then you now you're empowered with true weaponry to be able to fight to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ Father. We bless you and thank you for the work of Christ and the fact that the cross is a defensive and developmental weapon. And Lord God, we want to follow you in your work. We want to follow you in your work by contending while building. And so God, uh, teach us the skill of that. Teach us the skill of that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.